Well, another week has flown by and amazingly, we're through 15 weeks and 15 amazing guests sharing their stories on the hard yards. They've been a super talented bunch and have all had something we can learn and grow from in our own journeys. This week's guest, I'm sure, will be no different. He's one of the most incredibly talented sportsmen I have ever met, and I'm sure you will all agree. Can't wait to listen to his journey and how it all unfolded. So it is great, with great pleasure that I introduce this week's guests. From across the ditch in NZ, the legendary double all black, Jeff Wilson. Welcome to the show, Jeff. And uh, how's things in NZ, mate? And do you like that term, double all black? Oh, look, I've got it all wrong. I thought this was just a podcast for bored middle-aged men. I mean, I thought that was just the whole gist of it. How am I right now? Of course, I'm in New Zealand, and we've been incredibly fortunate, given what's happening around the globe yeah. uh, with, with this COVID pandemic, that we, we're sitting here and, and anticipating maybe that we'll have a, another wave. But right now, we're affording some luxuries that... You know, I'm at work, we've got, and I work in, in the sporting industry, of course, and I work inside rugby, so we're experiencing crowds and emotion. And we're, I suppose in some ways we've got normality. When if we look on the news and we look across the globe, it's not like that. So for us, we've got a smile on our face, but also at the same time, we're concerned about what the future holds for not just uh, us individually, but our families and, of course, family and friends abroad and and we know you guys in Australia have got some challenges right now as well so look these are uncertain times right this is this has been a 2020 has been a a crazy crazy year yeah well we certainly haven't you and I certainly mid-40s haven't lived through anything like this and and this sort of experience um you know and and I guess New Zealand is as good a place as you guys are in um a big part of the New Zealand I guess economy is people coming to the country so that's challenging as well at the moment because I'm sure your borders are your borders still closed. I mean, I don't. I, well, we can't fly out, so. Well, we've been trying to keep people out of this country for a long time. <laughs> this is the perfect opportunity. Well, for us, especially here, us Aussies, uh, our right? Borders are, if you're not a Kiwi, our borders are closed. If you're a Kiwi coming home, we're welcoming you, welcoming you back. And yeah, but you're right. There's no doubt. We, we haven't. We, everyone's waiting for that that suffering in terms of the economy to hit. But at the moment, things are reasonably stable. But we can't anticipate once again what's going to happen. And governments certainly investing and in trying to protect, you know, our industries. And, and uh, but even they themselves, you know, uh, you know we're probably getting get over hundreds of thousands of people returning to New Zealand as New Zealanders want to come home. And it's just a matter of the economy going to be able to support that. No tourism at the moment, though. And saying that, um, a lot of uh, our industry is surviving on the back of Kiwis are spending money in New Zealand. Yes. Um, how long that can last for, though, we, we don't know. We don't know. What was it like, before we you know, go on and chat about sporting and your sporting career, what was it like, because you went pretty hard in New Zealand with regards to restrictions, what was that like to, to live your way through, Jeff, over there? Mate, it was, um, it was intense, uh, but also it was, it was, you know, you're talking about not leaving your property at all unless you're going to get supplies, whether you're going to the supermarket. And so... Yeah. You know, you could go for a walk, but there was there was complete distancing. You weren't interacting with other people. You weren't gathering with other people. You know, that was for a good six or seven weeks. And we kept, you know, the government was incredibly cautious. They kept pushing out dates. So it got, got harder and harder because mm. when you just felt as though you were going to be able to get a little bit more, I suppose, um, freedom, those freedoms just got held back and held back. And, you know, of course, you know, it was it was great. I've got things done at home that I never got done. I did the hair, just had a decks, all those sort of things that 
my wife and Dean have been begging me to do for years. All of a sudden, they were well and truly on the agenda. Funnily enough, after two weeks, I'd done all of them. You know, they were done. They were, hit, they were, they were, and it was. I'd played a lot of basketball. Um, I'd done plenty of that. Uh, we hit. We then got to a point where we were homeschooling, and then that almost that took tension in our house to a new level because <laughs> not a strength of mine, and not a determination of both of my kids. Um, and so all of a sudden there was that going on. And I actually, I thought about training as a teacher and this confirmed that I well and truly made the right decision not to do that because <laughs> I was, I was rubbish. I was hopeless. Um, so all of that, all of those testing times, but then as things started to get uh, relaxed a little bit more and, and you got an element of freedom, you just sort of started going, you know, it's all been worth it right now to be where we're at. Now I can say that because you know, I've been very, very fortunate that I'm not under the same pressures that a lot of other people are under. And we get that here. And, we, you know, we understand that, you know, um, for a lot of people, this, you know, a lot of people have lost jobs. And there's been a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of companies and um, small businesses that have really gone, have gone under or are really battling and struggling. And so at the same time, we're well and truly aware that this, there, there is a long game here that's going to play out. And then while we were going through it, I'm just glad we were, we were able to, get to the point where we are now we made those sacrifices and it's been great um our challenge now is to and i suppose is to is to see where it goes globally and what, and what we can um uh, get to in the next five six twelve months because nobody knows yeah absolutely i feel like we're we're kind of lucky that we live in these couple of big islands yeah <laughs> you know on the right down the bottom end of the world and you know, kind of almost forgotten about it at times, but um, but certainly I think it's helped both of our countries to sort of be in pretty reasonable shape, even though we're having a bit of a tough time down south in Australia at the moment, but um, through Victoria and New South Wales. But where I am, it's not too bad, and, and there's a bit of normality of life um, at the moment, which is great. You touched on playing some basketball during your COVID times. Basketball was a big part of your younger life, right? So... You're more, more well-known for obviously playing for the All Blacks and, and for the New Zealand cricket team as well. Let's go back to your younger days when basketball was a big thing and, you know, you won some national track and field things as well through school. And, you know, how does a young fella de determine the, the road, the passage? And, you know, there's plenty, probably plenty of young guys out there listening into the podcast as well, Jeff, who might have similar sorts of decisions to make. So how do you go about it and... You know, what was the real love as a young fella? Well, I had competition issues. I just wanted to win, yeah. pretty much, anything I was involved with. So That's still you know, current um, today, I'm sure. Yeah, well, not as bad as it used to be. Uh, there's no doubt, because all of a sudden the skills have waned. I've got slow, yeah. and I've got, you know, I've got a little bit older, and all of that's happened. Um, but basketball's, funnily enough, the only competitive sport I play now, and, and, right. but, and uh, but not to a a high level, just to a point where, where uh, I get out there and I don't understand the laws anymore, don't understand the rules. Um, I'm generally wrong, but I can compete, I can go hard, I can get into it with some uh, fellas who are like-minded with me and we can enjoy a beer afterwards. But when I was younger, um, you know, how did I get into basketball? Well, it, 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 was, it was really, to me, it was an opportunity, like most of those, when you're youngest, to play with your mates, is to get out and find a sure. A, 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 an opportunity to go and do that. Now, when you're playing a cricket or rugby or, you know, all of a sudden can, things can be a little bit more difficult, whereas you can go to a school and have a basketball and you can play one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three. You can yeah. shoot for hours by yourself. You can do all of that. And so all, so the nature of practicing that versus other sports, 
meant that all I had to do was find one other guy that was keen to play, and then all of a sudden we'd go at it, you know. And and, and for me, I think that's that's that was what's really cool about it. And yeah. you know, I, what I can say is, as I was, you know, um, uh, developing skills in other sports and playing other sports, basketball to me just had that ability to cross through everything. When you're talking yeah, about vision and footwork and you know, um, instantaneous pressure and all of that sort of thing. It meant when you, you know, just using vision. So that was great for rugby because it forced me to look up. It was great for handling skills and passing skills, um, you know, jumping, um, competing in the air. Uh, same for you, you talk about uh, foot movement, if you're batting or bowling or fielding and cricket. You know, so for me, it was instantaneous, competitive. It was still an element of physicality, quick action. And that's why I think, you know, basketball globally has taken you know, it's taken the world by storm and it's challenging football as being, you know, the number one sport in the world uh, because yeah. the nature of how you can play it and the skill set you're seeing and the greatest athletes are doing it. So for me, it was it was great fun where I grew up. Um, our mates would be able to get together. It was competitive. We had some success with it, but at the same time, it was just, it was one of those ones that was easy to play uh, right. and was something a little bit different for me as I was growing up and, you know, I didn't play it when I was young, but when I got to sort of 10, 11, 12, got exposed to it, and then I got fell in love with it. And uh, It was never going to be a long-term future thing. You know, six-foot um, guy that can't shoot or dribble that well doesn't go that well uh, as a professional basketballer. But was I competitive? Loved defense. Um, bit niggly from time to time, but uh, I, I, I enjoyed getting stuck into it. Yeah, okay. So that, that then sort of answers the question that, you know, long-term you couldn't necessarily see a career in basketball. But um, so then obviously, you know, as the story goes, you, you became very proficient in cricket and rugby. And I find it fascinating that um, you were first selected in the All Blacks 93 to tour uh, Britain. And in the 92-93 cricket season, you played cricket in one-day matches for New Zealand against Australia, I think. And I just can't... I mean, that's just phenomenal. So you're playing cricket and then you're getting selected for the All Blacks essentially in the same year. Yeah, it was. Yeah, 1993. And, you know, it's obviously a long, long time ago. You know, I I do think, you know, in sport, like in anything... um, you know, right place at the right time with the right opportunity. Some, it, it was just some things that needed to fall into place. And in 1993, things did. You know, uh, I played a first-class cricket season here and played pretty well. Um, but at the right time of the year in the one-day format, I'd shown some real potential. And then for whatever reason, the last uh, tour of the season was Australia was coming here to play a five-one-day series. And I'd packed up my cricket gear, first-class season and finished. I was figuring I was done, and then a couple of guys got themselves into a little bit of trouble within the, the team environment and got the boot for, for that yeah, series, right. so they needed a couple of people to come in. Yeah, so a couple of people to come in, and I, I get the, you've just been named to the New Zealand cricket team. I'm going, you what? <laughs> I mean, I've got no gear. My gear's two and a half hours south. I've left it in Invercargill. I've gone to the needed to start studying Teachers College, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> I start, I'd started to do that, and then I get the, well, you're going to go and play against Australia and one day team and you're going to be playing with Andrew Jones and Martin Crow and against the War Brothers and Dean Jones and I'm, I'm going Alan Border this Murph Hughes is steaming in Shane Warner I'm going I'm well and truly out of a depth with my team let alone up against the world champion Australian side so 
It was mind-blowing. It really was. Was, it, Amazing. Was, there any, was there any part of you thinking, is this serious? Is this a prank call? Is this one of my mates, you know, pranking me out on this? Absolutely. Without a doubt. <laughs> you know, I, I, you literally, and I remember going to the, you know, our first training, and you feel as though you're a baby, and I was. Yeah. And I didn't even really, I hadn't even played against these guys that much because at that stage they were playing international cricket during the domestic season as well. So I played a handful of games against some of them. So when you get to that point and you go into the cricket nets going, I don't really even know if I deserve to be here. Um, but but look, I got an opportunity and the players were great. Martin Curry, Andrew Jones, Daddy Morris, and these guys are fantastic. Um, so, you, you know... know in what way do those guys help you feel like or help you believe you should be there, Jeff? Uh, well, it's still pretty old school back then. You know, yeah. it was more, it was, it was, there was an expectation. But in, in the same time, though, I come back to the fact that they knew I was a competitor. They knew that I played hard. They knew that I, if, if, if it came down to it, I'd grip my teeth and, and try and dig in. But at the same time, it was a bit mind-blowing, you know. And yeah. so... You know, I found, I must admit, I found Martin Crowe outstanding in regards to the conversations he would have with me, um, recognising I was young, recognising that he needed to be supportive. But at the same time, he also kept made him, I remember the second, so I played in the first one day and, and played really average. Um, and bowled pretty well for about nine overs and then Alan Border talked to me in my last one and I ended up going for about 50. But anyway, I, I, I didn't get to play the second game, but when we were going to Lancaster Park for the second game, I went into the change room and put my bag down and just sat down. And, you know, like I was one of the first guys off the bus because I was up the front and all that sort of carry on. And then all of a sudden, the door opens up and Martin Crowe just looks across the room and says, all right, I'll go and I'll sit here by the door and I might as well be out in the hallway. Of course, I was sitting in, I've sat in his seat. And everyone else in the room knew. Everyone else is sitting there not saying a word, you know, <laughs> and going, and I'm like, oh my God. And so... Thankfully, I didn't play because it was one of the most embarrassing moments. I, I might as well have sat in the hallway, you know, but, but it was one of those things where they, they all had a bit of a joke, had a bit of a laugh, but also it was also a way of putting them in my place a little bit, going, you know what? So for the next three games, of course, what's the first thing I do? I get off the bus and just wait and wait till everyone's got their seats, you know, like, and then they start going, where's Wilson? Where, where the hell is he? And I'm just going, just making sure that I'm not <laughs> pissing anybody else off. I'm just going to take my place. Um, so it was an amazing experience. Like I, I had a little. I got better as the series went on. Um, I, I felt as I, I got to belong a little bit. Look, like I was very lucky. I got the hit, the winning runs in a game, in a tight game, and, and uh, wow. uh, second to last. And then, what was amazing about the series was um, the whole series. We lost the first two, won the next two, and then we got to Auckland. And the game went down to the very last ball. So a whole series was divided. We needed six off the last. Gavin Larson was facing up, and we lost by five. He got a solid single. Solid single, <laughs> you know, not out Red Inca. I think he did try and hit it for six, but didn't go very far. But in terms of my experience, but then it was amazing. But then I just, that was it. The season was over, parked that up. Sort of went, went back to Dunedin to go back to teachers' colleges. And the reason I'd gone was, you know, it was an opportunity to... to you know, start because I wasn't a professional athlete then. Um, yeah. I'd been talked to by the coach of Otago Rugby about, you know, how he'd look after me when I came to Dunedin in terms of making sure I was okay and, and, and working into a club system. And yeah, 93 just went crazy. I, I became part of a, um, a really, really uh, exciting Otago Rugby fraternity and uh, played pretty well 
for a few games at club level, but we just I just had a, a really, really good season with a, with a really good team. And, uh, and they were looking for some new blood. And come end of October, um, I named it an all-black side to go on tour for six weeks to the Northern Hemisphere. Man, I haven't been out of the Southern Hemisphere. I haven't been any further than Australia. All of a sudden, what's, getting on what's a plane. What's unbelievable is it kind of sounds like, you know, when you're in primary school, you've got school sport that's, you know, soccer or rugby in the winter and you play cricket in the summer. And it kind of sounds like that's what you were doing. You were just kind of yep. being competitive, playing some sport yep. and, you know, playing cricket in the summer and pack your gear up and go play some rugby through the winter. And, yep. you know, incredibly, you, you picked to play for the Black Caps. I hope we didn't bowl that last ball in that game under... No, no, it was, it was a little legit. It okay. was legit. Yeah, yeah. I it think only bounced once. Legit, it they? only bounced once. Let's go that way. It only bounced once. <laughs> I think the original underarm was legit at the time, wasn't it? Uh, well, it was well and truly within the spirit of the game. You're a typical Australian. Yeah, well, it was done. not. It was not within the spirit of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan of it at all. But anyway, so you find yourself playing some rugby, and as the season goes on, you you mention you you, you find yourself in a in an All Black squad. Is it the same? Is the All Blacks to me look like a team? If you're playing rugby, and rugby's your sport in New Zealand, it's the absolute pinnacle. To to play for the All Blacks is the absolute pinnacle. Not going to play rugby in Europe or in in France or in in Japan for the big dollars, but the the All Blacks is the pinnacle. Is that how it is? Well, you know, like I, when I was growing up, I I thought that I would be a cricketer. I always thought that, you know, and then I played second division rugby in Southland down and, and then I had a good season, scored a few tries, but was then going to try my hand to be, to play first division rugby against the big boys, you know, and so, you know, I've been a, a ball boy at a Rugby World Cup in 1987 and so the, 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 the thought of being an All Black never even crossed my mind. Right. Because that to me was almost, that was out of reach. You know, yeah. that was a, you know, I'd be, I'd grown up in a cricket club you know, um, because, you know, you, you stay within, within a cricket um, fraternity throughout your whole career. You know, you play for a club. And so I'd grown up in that environment. So the whole time I'm thinking, well, that'll be the sport that if I'm going to ever, you know, have a crack at and, and try and that would be it. And so then all of a sudden, the, the All Black opportunity, it, it, you don't even, I didn't even think about it. You know, that just, I went from cricket, I played some rugby, and then it was a matter of, I don't know how far this is going to go, but it's the off-season, it's rugby, you know, let's see what happens. And so I had some encouragement and had some really um, really positive uh, words from, from the hierarchy, but the All Blacks is the All Blacks. And, yeah. you know, that, that's the pinnacle uh, of yeah. anything. So all of a sudden, as things started to creep closer in 93, and I was, and look, you know, I was playing some really good rugby, you know, and, and having an impact on games. And so all of a sudden, if the right people are watching and you're being part of a team that's playing well and you're contributing to that, you know, all of a sudden the idea and the possibility um, that I might be an All Black sort of started to come and I'm going, are you, are you serious? Like, um, there are... <laughs> so do you, you know, hear the, the whispers? Are there whispers sort of through media, through... I mean, it's not the yeah. same now. Obviously, with social media, it's, you know, it's instant and everyone yeah. their journal, um, like me right now. But, um, yeah, you do you hear what? the whispers back then? No, you know what? Um, no, because I didn't really listen. Like yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I was still. Here's the here's the crazy thing. I was still doing things, you know, normal things during the week that I'd always done 
and not thinking that anything was a high risk. For example, I'd be going on a, we'd be playing a, a provincial match on a Saturday. I'd go and play basketball for three hours down at the university, you know, in the afternoon. I'd spin myself, dehydrate myself. We're playing the next afternoon against Auckland or something for Otago. And I'm not even thinking twice, going, yeah. well, you know, this is just, you know, I've got a game tomorrow, but well, I've got time this afternoon. I'll go and shoot some hoops and I get into it and we, I just, I'd blow myself out and then show up. That like, it was just a completely, it was purely amateur, really, in my head. Yeah, you know, sure. A couple of trainings a week and then we go and play on the weekend. And, and did I hear the whispers? No, but until the back end, and they start talking about, well, there's a tour at the end of the year for the All Blacks. And, but at this stage, John Kerwin, so John Kerwin was still playing here. Um, Inga yeah. Tuigamara, and, and they were great players across the country. And so, funnily enough, when I got named in the team, I didn't even play the day I got named because we had a number of players in the Otago set up. And one of them was Greg Cooper, who was a former All Black fullback. And we had a couple of really good wings, and John Timu and Paul Kokodama. And it was a sort of a rematch against uh, Waikato in Hamilton for, a, I think it was a Radford Shield game. And I was sitting in the stands and I didn't even know the All Black team was getting named that night. Like, I had no idea. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm still going that I'm not playing. We lost by 40 points, so in the end, I was pretty happy I wasn't playing. Um, it would have been tackling, which, you know, tackling and I at this point, we hadn't really met each other that well. Um, we, we finished that uh, game, we go back to the hotel and normally have a couple of beers as a group afterwards, and then the word comes through um, in one of the, the toilet breaks in our team drink. You know, one of the, the good old fashioned court session was going on. Um, a few of the players get pulled outside and said, Oh, by the way, you've just been named in the All Blacks. I said, For what? And they said, Well, there's an evening, there's a, next, next week, there's a, you know, a couple of weeks you're going to go, Yeah, exactly. Can you, go, you want me to carry the water or the tea or something? Is, is that what's going on? And, but at the time, then they said to me, But don't celebrate too much because there's a number of guys in this team who haven't made the side. And so I have to go back into this team drink. Wow. I've just found out. Haven't, haven't even rung my parents, haven't rung anybody. So I'm, I'm gonna, and then I didn't even know the side. So we get into this, the, it carries on, and of course there's some commiserating, and then they give the old, yeah, it was great, we're in the All Blacks. And, and uh, so I ring my dad and mum and have a yarn to them and say, look, I'm, I'm. and then, then they say to me, you do realise who didn't make the side? And they said, John Kerwin didn't make the side. And that's when it really hit home, is the yeah, fact man. that, an icon, one of our greats, the leading try scorer for the All Blacks. I'm 19 years old and I've just taken his spot in the All Blacks. Mm. Yeah, like that's that's when reality really sits in and you go, right, okay, now we've... And of course, Auckland were the majority of the side back then. So the first training I go to, it's like, you know, they know how popular I am, you know? Yeah. I, uh, but once again, once you get into it and, and once you're going on tour, and, and, and I, I played well enough earn an element of respect. It was just a matter of what I could do um, in 93 for that group. And, and it went reasonably well. You know, the tour was, was tough and was hard and played a lot of games, but it was a great grounding for what being in the All Blacks was all about because, you know, there was some great players. You're Sean Fitzpatrick, you're Zinzan Brooks. You know, these guys set standards, really high standards, and you had to come up to those. Let's talk about that um, a little bit with... I guess I, I guess you spoke about Martin Crow. Was it was it the same sort of thing with within the All Blacks as a nineteen year old coming in? Was was there someone that sort of you know you really looked up to or came alongside you and helped you along? You said there was a little bit of you know I've, I've replaced John Kerwin, 
Um, but you know, once you're there and once you're on the plane and you're heading over, surely they, they're all one, all for one and one for all, so to speak. Yeah, well, I mean, look, um, Laurie Maines was the coach at the time and, and he picked uh, a number of new players into that squad and we ended up going with diff- a lot of different combinations and it was the first time Grant Fox, who'd been a massive part of the All Blacks, had finished, he'd, 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 uh, he'd ended that year after the Lions and um, uh, the Wallabies had come to a start and uh, Dunedin and played the Bledisloe Cup, so he'd finished. So it was a sort of, this was a, okay, what's the future of the All Blacks going to look like? And so... There were still some old heads, like I talked about, who set the standards, and Fitzy and, and Zinni and those guys were amazing. And as you just said, that when you came in, it was a matter of, okay, let's get to work. Laurie worked your hard as a coach anyway to bring you together and push you um, and to set standards and what the All Blacks was all about back then. And, and, uh, the, and it was no doubt that the expectations were very, very high of, of, uh, of the group. So, you know, were they, were they welcoming? Um, yes, but at the same time, um, there were massive expectations on what uh, what you you know had to do. And at the same time, though, there was all the old things that you you know young guys were ended up being on the laundry committee. You know, all of a sudden, all the training. All, you know, we're, we're taking thirty players, or maybe twenty eight players, or thirty players on this tour group, and two or three of us young guys have to after training gather up all of the take it to the team room and come back. Then we have to sort it out and put it into piles and names. Now, these things were taking hours to do, but that there were still those things that go. You know what? You may be an orbit, but guess what? You're doing the worst job. You're doing the worst job. So that all of those things, which, 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 um, you know, the back of the bus, the front of the bus, those traditions, they were there. And the legacy of the All Blacks was put on you. And, you know, there was an element of pressure around that. Does any of that sort of thing still happen within the All Blacks setup? Because I kind of feel like, you know, with the modern day and the modern game and the modern amount of money they're all making and, how much money there is involved in sport that, you know, probably teams and team setups have a certain person being paid to be the laundry guy now. But I feel like yeah. it's a really important part of the team culture to, to kind of have those things. Does, does the All Black system still have those things in place that you're aware of? Yep. All of those, I mean, when, you, when you're talking about those things, they're almost a, a way of teaching you little disciplines. Yeah. Um, uh, sacrifices, right? The things that you have to make that, how, what can you do to help the team get better? Now, as much as you're sitting there yourself, oh, it's a terrible job to have to do, at the same time, it's an important job that has to be done. And I think what has changed, though, and I think this is really, really critical and, and, and part of why the All Blacks all of a sudden, I think, have had more consistent success at the highest level at the big occasions, is they understand the mental side of the game so much more and the game and sports change mentally and exposure and pressures have changed. So having disciplines and um, understanding your role and having real clarity about what you do. And I think in some ways too, um, I think being probably more understanding and having a greater awareness of how you can support players and how, um, how they feel in an environment, how confident they feel, what they can contribute, um, Younger players having a voice, you know, but I think those have significantly moved on. So the fact that the hierarchy is still there, leadership is still leadership, guys who have got the benefit of experience. But I think at the same time now, I think there's a real commitment to everyone across the squad um, being supported and not put in a position where they feel as though they're vulnerable or threatened or 
they can't contribute or can't have their say, you know. So the, I think that the lines of communication have to say and are well and truly more open and there's a lot more um, collaboration. Um, you still know your place. You still know where you sit on the bus. You know, yeah. you know where, where you were when you started and what voice you may have. But I think in terms of support for the athletes, that's significantly changed. Mm, I think that's... And we, we spoke about it before we started chatting today about that, you know, the expectation, not just in sport, but the expectation in life for people is so challenging these days. We're all expected to be great. You know, we're all expected to be at the top of the field. And, you know, that expectation without question would, you know, would be, and particularly through some incredible, incredibly successful years for the All Blacks in the past, you know, decade. I mean, it's, most likely the best, you know, sporting team in, in world history over the last 10 years. Um, the expectation must be high. So those sorts of open communication channels and, and talking to players must become a critical part of that. Well, the pressures of, of in life are, are different now, you know, and the exposures and expectations of players have changed, um, you know, the competitive nature of, of sport, but also the world and the, the economy and everything that comes into just living this life now you know um players you know i think even though they are certainly compensated for that exposure and that pressure it still it still adds and, and, and it's challenging um and you know confidence is such a critical part of performing well you know self-belief and and uh camaraderie and all those things you know uh, contribute so significantly to on-field performance but also character of individuals and and the fact that you know, when you're exposed young, but also you can be protected um, and you can put into a bubble. And so your um, life experiences uh, can, can be confined to airports and hotels and grounds. And, 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 and by the same time, you're being judged all the time on no matter what you do. And technology has, has put everybody who, who are out in the uh, public environment um, at, the, at the mercy of... of other people's judgments, which is really challenging. You know, yeah. I feel for these guys yeah. because people are, unfortunately, there are people who are looking for an opportunity to bring them down, is to bring them, because, you know, um, quite often it's clickbait. It's a story. Um, it doesn't even have to be founded. Uh, it doesn't have any, it might not have any foundation. It could be rumour, but in the end, people are looking for that. And so for the players, you know, it's a really, really difficult, difficult world to live in. Um, uh, like most, so many other people, though, but, but they're not. A lot of other people aren't judged on a, um, by a huge public. You know, are not exposed yeah. to a huge public. You know, yours is every week for eighty minutes. You're being judged on how you've gone out there and you've performed, uh, and that every week can affect your future. Um, that's a high pressure environment to work in. You know, no different to golf. You know, no different to tennis. But they're different because there's only singles, individuals. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a different type of pressure again. So, you know, you've got to regard, even if you're in a team, you know, uh, the support you have around you. And I was very, very lucky. I always had great support and a, a, an amazing wife and a, and a, and a great family. I always had uh, people and a voice I could, uh, could, um, could listen to and I could talk to at the same time. It's been, a, it's been a very common theme throughout my first 15 guests and all elite sports people where the team matters, you know, the team around you matters and has yeah. been a pivotal, pivotal part of their success. Speaking of which, your lovely wife, Adine, and two kids, 
Now, your wife was the captain of the New Zealand netball team. So there's a fair amount of pedigree within the family. So yeah. how do you as parents deal with that from a, just while we're talking about expectations? Because I imagine there's a, you know, potentially a bit of expectation looking at your kids as they grow up because they've obviously got two great sporting parents. Is that something that's a constant thought or a constant thing that you guys as parents are dealing with with your own kids as they grow and become more talented in sport or, or maybe don't even chase sport? you know, and have to deal with that as a, a thing as well for, for kids growing up? Well, at this stage, they're very fortunate they got their mother's brains. That really helps. That and really helps. So, so discipline. Got as well? well, got a bit of everything, which is, which right. is, I think, critical. The fact that in the end that, you know, uh, they can maybe fall back onto that. Look, our kids are 10 <laughs> and 12, two boys, are competitive boys. They're physically... Yeah. You know, they've matured reasonably early. They're tall and, and uh, um, different personalities, um, certainly driven differently. But, I mean, in the end, Dean and I have, have always been on the fact that um, we want them to play um, sport, whatever the sport might be. We want them to be active. That's the most important thing. We want them to enjoy what they're doing and we want them to do their best. And the, the outcome is the outcome. And I don't really, that doesn't bother us in any way, shape or form. And that's what our kids know, that we don't worry about the scoreboard. Um, what we worry, what, what, we, what we would expect from them is to go out there and, and do the best they can and be good teammates and respect um, the opposition and the referees and all those sorts of things. But they're, they're, they've got a bit of our competitiveness in them as well. And so that gets tested from time to time because they are competitive. They, they, yeah, sure. they do want to go out and they, they do want to win. They do want to win and they do want to play well, you know. Um, but they just know that from us, that's not, that's not, doesn't matter to us. You know, like that's irrelevant. You know, um, I think the things they're learning from playing and being in sporting teams, being around their mates in different environments, getting coached by different people. Um, it's just, you know, the one thing that Dean and I, we, we know even from our, because we got exposed at a young age, there are probably things that we missed out on. Um, I was from Invercargill, the dean was from Hara and Taranaki, so small environments. And, and so it doesn't matter how old you are, if you're good enough, they'll give you a chance to play. You know? And so when you're playing senior netball like she was, I think at 14 or 15, I'm playing at cricket, senior cricket at 14 or 15, all of a sudden you're around adults. And so yeah. you know, a lot of that time is spent where most kids are running around with their mates having a different type of fun. We're actually still in a competitive environment, um, you know, uh, trying to trying to play more sport. Uh, so, you know, I think from our kids, it's been really clear right from the very, very start. You know, we want, we love them being out there. We love them playing. We love them doing their best. And if, whatever the result means, fine. How do you manage that expectation? Um, it's hard for them from time to time, I think. Yeah. You know, um, but in saying that, uh, you know, I think, you know, they know exactly where we come from. And, and as long as they know that they've got us to support them regardless, no matter what happens, then, you know, that's the, we feel that's the best we can do for them. Yeah, it's awesome. And any direction that either of them look like they're taking at the moment? Funny enough, they play rugby, basketball and cricket. Yeah, right. No, no, yeah, no. I don't know where they got that from, <laughs> to be honest. Look, one of the, so there's a whole lot of different, you know, they're at that point now where, and this is where it could get very interesting, is that the intermediate school and one's the last year of primary school, right? So when you're in those school environments, or they've just been exposed to 
that through their school. Most of it, you know, they've done swimming and, and all those sorts of things. But in the end, the team environment has been the one that they've wanted to pursue and enjoy the most. Of. You know, giving them an opportunity to hit a golf ball and go into swimming and do all those sorts of things. But in the end, they've congregated towards where their mates are so they can catch up with them. To me, which is great, which is what we got yeah. to uh, we got to enjoy. Um, so so for us, it just means it makes it a bit easier. I can still play basketball in the back with them. I kick a ball around and, and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean they listen to me because um, they're kids. Uh, and they don't all the time. They don't, eh? Uh, nothing's going to change, I guess. So, uh, look, it... it that part of what I have really enjoyed, the fact that I wanted to go out. My, my oldest son, Harper, played in an inter-school netball tournament the other day, which just first time he played that, it was great. You know, he, yeah. he wants to be involved. He wants to give it a go. Um, so as long as they, they're doing that, um, that's, that's what's really, really cool for us. And that's because, you know, we've made it a point of us, the fact that we've tried to keep active as well, you know. Yeah. Um, Sure. Uh, the fact that he's just about blocking me when I'm going for layups is a concern, a 12-year-old. That's more about him. I did, I've did. i made a massive error, though, uh, Matty, a massive error. So I, I said probably five years ago, and he, he got, you know, he always wants to race me, give me, have a go, uh, who's going to be quicker. Who's gonna, and at the time, I said to myself, mate, you won't beat me in a running race until you're 15. I didn't factor on the, that was 10, about five, Six, seven years ago, I didn't factor on the, that I'd get slower. Yes. I, I just thought I'd stay fast. So as he's gone up, I was just picking, well, I'd still be there. The trouble <laughs> is, I'm not there anymore. I'm coming slowly back. There. So the, the, I, I just got the graph completely wrong. And now I'm at that point where I don't know how I'm going to stretch it out for three more years. I'm, I'm just about at the point I've got to pick optimal distance. Uh, what's does it going to be? You, Are we talking 10, you, 40, 106? Does that put you about 50? Yeah, yeah. It's, very, yeah, it's, bang, it's about bang on. It well, puts me we, in, I'm going to share with you, we, my neighbours in the street here, The um, last year they had, the daughter was turning 15. She's quite the athlete and, you know, very good touch football, Oz tag player and, um, you know, super talented and she's quick. And they had a, she was turning 15 and he was turning 50 all within a yeah. month. So they decided that they were, this, the dad had the same ideas as you and decided it was going to be a 15 v 50 over 50 meters on the street. And we live in a cul-de-sac street. Oh. So the day it happened, there was a street activity. We had a megaphone out, oh. we announced the starting line. We had people lined the streets and he got absolutely pasted. <laughs> <laughs> Did he, did, did he try and just jump the gun slightly? I mean, I just... Do I... Do, was, I, I so I'm, try, I'm going to be manufacturing rules left, right and centre. So it's, yes. it's when I go, we'll go. And, you know, I think... I, I like the sound of that, though. I, I think maybe I will plan for that. Yeah. I'm just trying to work out, you know, I, I can't see it. I can't see me winning right now. It's just really... And I, I thought maybe do I train for a little bit of further distance, but then he's... Nah, I think it's pure and simply, I'm just going to, I think 50, maybe 60 metres might be my max. But yeah, I've got it horribly wrong. And that yeah. will be a sad, sad day. It is a sad, for sad me, day, mate. Not for him. Now. For me, <laughs> not for him. Fortunately, my 16-year-old is um, incredibly strong and, you know, he could he can probably lift me over his head, but he doesn't have the same, he doesn't have the no. speed, so I can still be yes. But my 14-year-old's um, passed me by now, so uh, I need probably 10Ks to be able to get him. Um, oh, really? 
Yeah. Well, I'm never going to win that race. No, I, see, I've always been long, longer distances better for me. So he, he just wouldn't survive 10K. So, but yeah, Come no, on, it's mate. great fun. Now, just going back to the All Blacks, I was just thinking about this um, as you were chatting. You were playing sort of, you know, in that sort of club rugby idea that you were talking about, you know, training a couple of times a week, playing on the weekends and playing basketball on the Saturday before you had a game on Sunday and amateur, you, you used the word. And then you're in the all. You find yourselves in the All Blacks going to going to England. What was training like as a difference? You know, just level wise. You know, what was the intensity like? Did the intensity go up tenfold, five? You know, how did it change from your club rugby sort of setup and training scenario into your with your All Blacks? Yeah, well, I think um, you know, you, you never you hear about it. You hear about how things might change. Um, you know, you hear what, um, you know, the expectations. My cat's just joined the fold. She's scratching the door. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. That's it. Um, so I think when you get into that environment, you, you, you're always anticipating the step up. And a lot of that's driven by the coaching staff, I think, the change of expectation and the physical drive of what you're trying to do. And I did, you absolutely notice it. But that's because all of a sudden you go from, you know, you're playing first-class playing first class rugby to the international tier. And I think that's what's great about it. You, you can see that when you go to training that, okay, now I know maybe a little bit closer what the game's going to be like because this is the best of the best coming together. So when, once you've got that level and understand it, and, and, but in saying that, I mean, that's the, the great thing about, I suppose... I was very, very fortunate. The one thing that I was fast. So being quick, I was, I mean, that was, that's pretty much was my biggest strength was I was fast. I was quick, you know? Um, so, so, so as long as I was, I could try and stay ahead of the play just with, with my understanding of the game, but also with my speed and all of a sudden you don't feel as though you're behind the game. If you know what I mean, there was a whole new level of intensity and physicality and all those sorts of things. But I was never, I was never chasing the game. It was just about me having to step up to the plate in terms of that intensity, the tackles being a bit harder, the cleanouts, having a little bit less time on the ball because pressure's coming a little bit more. Um, but once you get in that environment, um, and quite often, you know, the trainings were as hard as the games. That's just what, you know, that, yeah. that's just the way. You know, if you could play in that environment, if you could compete in that environment, I played in it a couple of internal trial games, which were just ridiculous. You know, like as tough as any test match I'd ever played because one is a competitive environment, man against man. And so uh, this is where I can prove the point that I should be the guy that starts for the All Blacks. You know, and that that brings a real intensity. So there's no doubt you do, you feel it, but you feel everything lift. But because all of a sudden um, you are supported differently, I mean, you even just talk about, say, the amount of gear you get given. I mean, all the yeah. suitcases, the boots and jerseys, and, you know, like a, you, you had the suitcase of gear that, that you take away with you, and you, you've got nice clothes and boots, you know, just all of that sort of stuff surrounding it. You know there's a different level of expectation, so you've got to step up to that mark. All the media scrutiny, you know, all of that. Uh, drug testing, for example, you know, all of a sudden, there are trainings more often, and, and so all of that, it gives you a real gauge very, very quickly that when you get on the park, there is going to need to be a different level of performance. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the one thing about the All Blacks is that, you know, um, getting selected for the All, Black, the All Blacks is not 
that's not the job done. You know, that's the start of the job. If you know, but once you get that opportunity, it's not about being an All Black. It's about being a good All Black and leaving the jersey um, in a in a strong place when you leave. I always feel like with the All Black jersey as well that it's not only as you spoke about before it being the pinnacle on the rugby side of things to get yourself one of those All Blacks jerseys, but I always feel like once you've got one. You never, they never want to let it go. They never want to let anyone else take that jersey off them, which, you know, when you go back to John Kerwin and you take kind of replacing him in the side after his incredible career, um, you know, that's, that must have been difficult for him. But it, that's what I think I look at as an Aussie and as a Wallaby. I, I don't see the same. I, I, I've talked to Nick Farr-Jones about this uh, on a regular basis. He's a good mate of mine. And, and I've said, I just feel like... Currently, particularly currently in the current Wallabies all black in the last sort of five, 10 years, it just feels like that jersey's the pinnacle and they will do everything to, you know, perform in it and make sure, like you said, you leave it in a great place when you do finally get replaced by someone who's potentially a better player for the All Blacks. What's really interesting what you're talking about there is you talk about Nick Far Jones and he was part of a, a, a successful, a successful era of Australian rugby, which is, you know, wins a rugby world cup and, you know, they, 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 that group of players were, he was a part of. And then there was another group that when rugby went professional, I think in the success, the late nineties, your George Gregans, your Stephen Larkins, your John Eels, Eels. those great players, what they did is they grasped professional rugby probably better than the New Zealanders did, than than us um, uh, as a super rugby teams. And, um, at an international level, they were just a little bit more profi- proficient and professional, and and they just got the balance right of what they needed to do and how to take their game to the next level. But by the same token, what you're talking about, they own the jersey. Yeah. George did. I can't tell you who the other halfback for the Wallabies was through that period. It was George Gregan. You yes. know that that was the. They didn't want to release. You know, didn't want to give people an opportunity, a chance. And I think that's what's changed. You know, you know, I see. I don't see it as. I don't see this group, say, in Australian rugby right now, I don't see the same level of intensity and commitment to being that guy. Yeah. You know, they've moved in, they've moved into that realm of it's a 23-man game, whereas I still believe in the All Blacks. Yes, we understand it's a 23-man game, but it's really a 15-man starting team. It's still a, it's still a you want the responsibility to be the starter, the, the one, the driving force, and you will compete. And they support each other internally. I, I know that for a fact. You know, if you don't get selected, if you're part of the squad, you will do whatever um, you sure. can. And they, they've changed that mantra. They've changed that mantra. You've still got to help the other teammates, but at the same time, you've got to compete. And so for me, I think that's really important. I mean, look, John Kerwin came back in 1994 and took the jersey off me. Yeah. He started against France and he started against um, South Africa. And then I played that wonderful game against uh, Australia in 1994. Which, and we'll go down in the history of the Bledisloe Cup, you know, it has been a big moment for Australia. But that that competitiveness to go, well, Sir J, uh, JK, he, he fought his way back and deserved another opportunity. I'd been playing okay, but he was playing better, you know. And so that he, he wanted his jersey back. He wanted another, he wanted to prove his point, you know. And so I think there's a whole lot of things where, you know, the, with the All Blacks, we are, it is so tight and competitive here. There are, no one's irreplaceable. There is someone that can step in and maybe be as good as you are 
no, there's no guarantees, but maybe. And so when you know that's always there, and that's just another driving force to help you perform. And how did how did you know losing your spot to John? What did that do for you? Did you you obviously wanted well, to get it back, and you got it back again? Well, but what does that do for you as far as you know? How do you go about that? Well, that was a, that was a really um, challenging time in my career because. At the end of 93, we'd lost to England at Twickenham and I'd been the goal kicker that day and we hadn't played particularly well and I'd missed a, a few kicks, but we were, we were beaten by a team who just suffocated us. And in 94, um, JK comes in, Joan Lomu arrives, plays a couple of test benches against France and then he goes out and South Africa comes to New Zealand and that's the first time they'd toured New Zealand. Um, wow. And, yeah, and, so, and the, so there was a whole different pressure and... How did I deal with it? Um, I was still part of the I was still part of the squad, but I was reserved, and reserves didn't get to play in those days. Yeah, they, they never even got on. The fifteen on the park. The fifteen on the park, and you only got to play if injury. you were if it was an injury. And so JK never wanted to come off, and so um, you know we had John. Uh, I think John Timmy was still there, and and Shane Howarth came in and played fullback. So we went. Uh, Laurie knew what it would take to beat South Africa. And so he went down that path, you know, it was 15-12 in the third test match. It was really doused up in the middle of winter. So I happily kept my jacket on, <laughs> folded my arms, going, you know what? This isn't a great place to be right now. But it was ugly. It got really ugly. And so You want to be on me, the field, though. Like, you, you, there's got to be a desire that you want to be on the field it, it, when you're yes, sitting on the Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But there was still, at that point, I think... Um, you know, it was a little bit of doubt and hangover from the year before um, and what had happened. And trust me, losing in the All Black jersey is is really tough, you know. Yeah. And I was young when it happened to me, you know. And, and so, you know, I, 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 I lose, I score three tries, four tries on debut, um, uh, you know, kick a, uh, kick a conversion, um, you know, everything's great. Seven days later, comes crashing down. You know, I, I miss these kicks against England, we lose. And then we have another week on tour and, and uh, we're playing the Barbarians at Old Carter Farms Park. And I'm, at this point, still pretty fragile. It's the day before the test, uh, before the game against the Barbarians. Um, uh, I'm still goal-kicking because we had no one else in the team who could kick. Well, we did, but he got injured, Matthew Cooper. So I had the responsibilities again. I'm going, oh, Christ, here we go again. You know, like at that point. And it didn't help when Grant Fox, the greatest kicker we've ever had, it comes to the ground before the game. He didn't do it intentionally. It just came out. I said, well, you've got a fundamental flaw in your goal-kicking technique, so we'll just have to get around that uh, over the next 24 hours. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God. You know, um, I, I'm, I hope I can throw it over tomorrow, let alone kick it over. Yeah. But I managed to get enough kicks that we wanted, and we went out and won. Um, but I was still pretty fragile um, when it came to that next year. And then... And then it was the infamous Sydney Test match against the Wallabies. And, you know, um, we're down at half time, uh, you know, uh, but JK had been dropped. I'd been given an opportunity to start. Uh, and it was, we're down at half time. And then we make a miraculous comeback playing some. And literally, what a lot of people don't realise is we've been training a whole lot of things for about six months, but didn't use any of them in the other games because we weren't ready to use them. And then, as in Basically, set plays, John? As in sort of set plays or structure? No, or... no. Um, a speed of the game and a continuity of the game and, and, and an attitude and structures that were, you know, it was 
we we were sort of trying to build towards 1995, the next World Cup. So Laurie was introducing and training these things, but they hadn't cut us loose. And when we were, the Bledisloe Cup was on the line, we got to a second half at halftime, and they said, right, we've got to go and try something now. So all of a sudden, we went to another gear. And we just played outstanding rugby, and I had an opportunity, obviously, to get us across the line about eight or nine minutes to go. George makes a great tackle, and I lose the ball forward, and we still have opportunities to win it, but it turns out that every New Zealander that's ever loved the game of rugby union was at the Sydney Football Stadium in, the, in that corner of the stand. Apparently, this, that stand holds about a million people, um, and I still hear about it. That I was there that day. I'm still, you're pretty sure you can't have been with another 300,000 New Zealanders because apparently you were all at Sydney Football Stadium. So that's, so that's my... I had a losing record as an All Black. As, yeah. you know, having played. So, you know, that, that doesn't happen really. Uh, two and one, and, and next year we're going to a Rugby World Cup. So, you know, um, that was really challenging. And at the same time, you know, um, all, all of a sudden we were we were talking about where was the game going in the future. And, you know, just over 12 months later, the game sort of turns professional. So there was like, so much going on. And uh, luckily I was able after that, that um, well, actually in some ways, uh, not luckily, you know, I really, I was grateful I could go back to a family environment with Otago Rugby at the end of 94, which, which a great, a great coaching staff and, and Gordon Hunter and guys who are really, players who are really supportive. I got back on the horse and played really well and got myself back into the frame in 1995. But, you know, there was, there was probably, you know, I think there was a, a period of time there where things were hanging in the balance um, about, you know, which way my career could, could have gone. Were you, did you, at that stage, given your, your cricket before you went into the rugby, was there any thoughts of the cricket? Did I go the wrong yeah. way? Yeah, no, not that no, I'd gone the wrong way. Um, or would you know, I maybe go little... back in that direction? Yeah, well, well, no, because all of a sudden it was, Rugby World Cup was coming up. And mm. so it wasn't realistic for me to go back to that summer and play. But there was no doubt that, you know, there was a defining point where, okay, if you're going back, and, and being part of that Rugby World Cup, then great, you know. Um, uh, you, I didn't play that summer, and once you've missed the summer and you've been out of it, but remained in the All Blacks, and so, you know, all of a sudden it was a determination. We went so close in that Rugby World Cup, and then we won the Bledisloe Cup back the next year, and I scored a try, and so there was a little, you know, there's a bit of redemption for me and, and how I felt about it. So confidence starts to come back, and you're thinking, right, we're back into it, and and then I was, you know, that. That team, that group of players, you know, Andrew Mertens, Josh Confell, these guys, there was another tier of players coming through. But some youth and experience, that was going to be a really good sign. So you had that sense, oh, I want to be a part of this. Yeah. Um, and then we had 96 and 97 were two great years in the All Blacks. Yeah, oh, it was awesome. And you ended up obviously going on to be, I think you've been passed now by a couple of fellows with regards to try scoring in the All Blacks, but you ended up well, taking but, the mantle. Yeah, but look, I mean, I think, uh, so I was at a function the other night and we, we talk about that all the time, but um, a, a guy said to me, asked a question from the floor, said, oh, you know, was, you know, I understand you're one of the, you know, what number you are now, I think I'm five or six on the list, try scoring. And I said, well, I was looking at the career of Christian Cullen the other day. I said, oh, great, that's great. You, you know, you're just going to bring Kelly up. And he said, well, funnily enough, I was looking at all of his tries that he scored for the All Blacks and the number of times that you were in the picture that you didn't get the ball, but there's still one man to beat. And I said, yeah, well, the draw and pass wasn't a big strength of Kelly's. The <laughs> beat the last man was a big strength of Kelly's. So I, I should well and truly be out in the clear 
<laughs> I should be 15 tries clear of anybody else. Uh, if Kelly had actually decided it was draw and pass, but Kelly didn't need to draw and pass. He could do it on his own. Like Jonah, quite often didn't need to draw and pass and do it on his own. Um, look, it's, it's great to be part of that list because that list uh, tells you how the All Black, how All Black rugby's played because they're all outside backs. You know, and, and you know, that, that, that was the mantra of the fact that we were a 15-man game. That's the way we love to play the game. That's what we think we're at our best, the best entertainment value. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it's great to have played with and against great players, but also, you know, the guys that have overtaken me, they're, they're all guys who have, I think, contributed an amazing amount to, um, to, to the game. And you continue to, you know, have a huge involvement in rugby, Jeff, in New Zealand? Obviously, you, you're involved in the, the media side of things now, in commentary and, and, and the like. But, um, you know, where do you sit as far as your involvement with rugby goes? Look, I work for Sky Television and I'm a presenter, commentator. Um, I mean, it's fantastic. I'm lucky enough to have my own show um, called The Breakdown once a week, which is just a, a live chat show, which is, you know, uh, I've been very, very fortunate how, how I ended up here. Like, I tried a lot of things. Now, um, post my rugby career, I went back to cricket and played against Australia again, unfortunately, which I played against, um, I say unfortunately and fortunately, I got to play against one of the great Australian cricket teams of all time, you know, um, Adam Gilchrist and Brett Lee and, and Ricky Ponting. And they, I mean, it was McGrath, Warren, uh, Brett Lee was steaming in, bowling 160. Once again, I'm going... So I do hold a record. Years. I do hold a record for that. You know, this is 12 years after you played your yeah. last one-day match. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I hold the record. Two hundred and seventy-one games, I think it was. Two hundred and seventy-one games from your, your your previous one day game to the next one. I know, insane, <laughs> really insane. And both times, I would incredible. really like. I, I really needed Scotland or Ireland to tour New Zealand. <laughs> it would have been really helpful, just so I could have got a gauge of where I actually sit and the gauge of things. I said instead, I just played against two great Australian sides. Um, yeah. And and that was, I mean, I'm. Uh, I played in the first T20 game, you know, where at the time we didn't, we were in their beige uniforms. We didn't think this thing would kick off. Nah, it's got no future. Um, Ricky Ponding hit me for one of the biggest sixes I think I've ever seen in my life. And I did it with a smile on my face because this was a dream come true to get another opportunity at it. I think John Bracewell, who was the coach at the time of the New Zealand cricket team, just wanted to talk about rugby. So he picked me. Um, we had great rugby conversations. Um, but, but I got to experience and see the start of Brendan McCullum's great career. You know, like it was just, it was, it was surreal in some ways, you know, um, and you're facing Brett Lee, you know, going, what's more frightening, Jonah Lomu running at you or yeah. Brett Lee steaming in? Um, both terrifying experiences <laughs> that not many people could say that they've been through, you know. Um, so, I mean, I look at that and, but I, I finished the cricket and I mean, I did rugby coaching. I trained uh, trotting and uh, horses for a while. You know, I did some um, radio, I went into radio work and, and did some coaching and I was a professional coach for five or six years. I, I put together probably the worst professional coaching record in, in New Zealand rugby history. Um, but I tell you what, I pretty much loved every moment of it uh, yeah. because I was at a team environment with, working with some great guys. And in recent years, it's been in the media and, uh, you know, Sky have been incredibly patient they, because my early stuff was in, uh, ridiculously poor. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the then and now stuff, um, you know, getting used to someone talking in your ear and yeah. throwing to things. And the early days, I'm looking at the sky, someone's yelling to me, oh, that's right, no one's hearing that person. I'm the only person hearing that person, you know, all of that stuff. Um, to now, it's become to the point where it's, it's second nature. And, 
you know, I really do love it. And I've been incredibly fortunate to have opportunities to follow the All Blacks on tour now. And, and, and probably the biggest thing is, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate enough because I've been part of the club that they're so welcoming um, the All Black group yes. and the players groups. And they're so helpful and I have so much respect for them. Um, and I think that they're, with my understanding of what they're going through and, you know, the, the challenges that they're facing right now. And, and I want to be supportive of what they do, but at the same time, I've got a role to play which has been challenging. I've got yeah. to challenge, you know, their, their performances and I've got to challenge the direction of the game. And, but I just love, I love the sport, you know, and the Sky Television here in New Zealand has given me the opportunity to continue to do that, um, which is really cool. You know, so it's amazing. Um, and so that, that's, that's something I'll be ever grateful for. Yeah, and continue to do for the foreseeable future for you? I hope so. I hope yeah. so. I'm certainly not going to be making uh, any progress with my golf game. I know that's not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> well, all I do is shell out was, money. But Well, that was certainly one area of your COVID restrictions that took a big hit, wasn't it? The golf side of things. And, you know, they shut golf down. They shut golf course maintenance yeah. down, I think, for a while as well. So... Isn't it? I'll tell you this though, but it gave, you know, they, they shut the maintenance down and I think everyone thought it would have a bigger effect, mm. but for whatever reason, it was like um, it gave the courses a little bit of a break, gave them a spell. I think it gives and, them time to breathe, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So all of these courses that are under pressure, mm. it just seemed all of a sudden and people were like, oh, you won't be able to get them back. Well, the courses I've gone to, they've all come back magnificently well. And to be fair, the community of people around the clubs have come back and, and we've, it's almost, golf in New Zealand's almost, it's what it has turned, is, is thriving, and which is amazing, which is great. You know, like it's, but the, a lot of really good things have happened um, uh, for us here in New Zealand. We're really fortunate, but all of, rugby's thriving because we recognised how much we missed it. And all of a sudden we've got crowds coming back to games and, Attitudes towards the games have changed and we're getting quick hits on everything. And so rather than drawn out seasons, everyone's had to condense something down. And so I think yeah. I get a feeling everyone's looking forward to it now going, you know what? Even our kids' rugby season's only going to be 11 or 12 weeks long versus 20 weeks. And the kids are going, and it's that whole wonderful situation where everyone's going to be left wanting a little bit more. Mm. And, and I think that to me is, is really cool. I mean, I imagine when you guys finally get some crowds back, to your sporting fixtures, I think there'll be an explosion of people who can't wait to be back. And whereas before, they've had choices to do other things, yeah. we're finding now they're choosing to come back to our sporting grounds, which is, which is great. No, I, I tend to agree. And you, you only need to talk to a few of the players about the Big Bash and what a great concept it was, but how they, they've drawn it out and drawn it out and, and kind of now it goes too long and you kind of... yeah. You know, I know those first few seasons, I, I used to watch every game. It wasn't even my yeah. team playing, but I just loved it because it was every game for three or four weeks and it was done and it's incredible. And now it just drags on and you're kind of yeah. still going. You know? Well, that's the thing. We, I, I think this is a great opportunity. Everyone's talked about refocusing and resetting and broadcasting change is, is going to change, I think, in the future. And, you know, how, what, how we deliver um, our product. And I just think it's a, this is a great opportunity to actually we need to reset everything and go back to what is it the fans want? You know, what is it they want to watch? What do they want to see? You know, um, do you, and what do you they just, want to hear? Yeah. Yeah. What do they want to hear? And, and you know, I think they're just like anything. We, we're, we're very much a lot of outcome focused now. So create, create quick, intense competitions where people can get a result and then give them something else. 
you know, and give them something else and give them something else to look forward to. And rather than the, you know, the 24 or 26 week comp, which is like, oh my God, you know, um, and you just switch off for a while. That's what we've, we've been lucky with Super Rugby Aotearoa. Like everyone's been invested over the last nine weeks. We've got one week to go here and, mm. you know, the crowds have been fantastic. They're sold out Eden Park for the last game of the season. 45,000 people are going to be on hand to watch the Blues play the Crusaders. We could never imagine that six no. months ago. Yeah. Couldn't have ever imagined it. Whereas no, now, it is the hottest ticket in town. And, uh, you know, um, what was it it'll like go playing, off. It'll be great. What was it like playing at Eden Park as a, uh, as a rugby venue? Did you play there as a cricket? Turn? Yep. The cricket, uh, i tell you what, it was... Um, Vastly it, different it was, experience. It's wonderful to play for the All Blacks. It was nasty if you're a visitor. You know, yeah. um, it just, it was... And look, I was in the area where the Auckland team was really, really good. But... Um, when you, I can't, I don't know, I don't remember the last time the All Blacks lost at Eden Park. Um, no. And that's part of it. You know, you just, because you, you can't remember it, it's a good reason because it hasn't happened in so, so long. So when you get there, you just know that you've got an extra, there's an extra man, there's an extra, you know, motivation. And there are a lot of things I remember as an All Black too, is the legacies, the things you, you, for example, you don't want to be part of the team that loses to someone for the first time, for example, you know, so... Sure. You know, I, we never, I never lost to Ireland or Wales or things like that. You know, you hang on to things like that. You don't want to be that team that loses at Eden Park. I remember when I was, there was one time I was, I, I think one of my last games, I lost to Carisbrook in Dunedin and I was devastated because I didn't want to be part of a, a group that lost there for the first time in such a long time, you know, and that, those are little motivations, you know, yeah. which is what I think. That's um, what makes the team so great. Yeah, yeah, it makes I think a lot of individuals as well. They're aware of those things. You find ways to motivate. Yeah, that's what I, I say. When I talk about COVID. I mean, the, the biggest thing that was happening in our house was the last dance, the Michael Jordan. You know, yeah. that you know, all of a sudden you're looking at that, and, you, and then you're getting inside the mind of a, a Michael Jordan and how he motivated himself. There's some crazy things that he did to keep himself on and, and get him to that that performance level. You know, so we had those as well. Eaton Park and grounds can be like that. Teams. You know, all of a sudden, there's a little bit of extra motivation. Now, speaking of MJ, my the final question that I ask everybody who comes on this podcast is: if you could be a sports star from past or present for one day and live in the shoes of that person for a day, uh, who would it be? That's you've you got to prep people for this. You can't just because all of a sudden, you it's know, great, isn't um, it? <laughs> you know, is this this is so this is where I am now, or this is before I I was married. No, oh, well, this is where, you, where this is if you could live a day. Because <laughs> that if changes you could be someone and live in their shoes for one day. Who would it be? Live in their shoes for one day. It's, we can take the shackles off if you want to. No, I don't want the shackles. I like my shackles. My shackles are great. Jeez. You know, the shoes of. Uh, who was the last person? Who was the last person to beat uh, Tiger Woods in match play? Because that wouldn't be a bad place. Because just to see him skulking off after he's been beaten, <laughs> and, and imagine if he beat him nine and eight or something. How good would that be? That's a bit sadistic. You know, you talk about the greats. Look, I, you know, the, there are wonderful, wonderful moments. You know, and uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to be at the final say of. Um, Australian Opens and, and you know, maybe the Roger Federer beating uh, Rafa Nadal, you know, the, the best of the best. But if I could replace one person for one day, you know what, um, and relive it, 
I, I, the 2015 Rugby World Cup final, when Bowden Barrett said a way to score under the posts, you know, I was at the ground. I would like to have been in his shoes. Yeah. To just have been to be that guy, to yeah. be that guy, to seal a Rugby World Cup. You know, right. and 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 I got to I got to go and interview them on the field afterwards. But being there, going, you know what, to then hold the trophy, yeah. you know, and I never got to touch the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Um, you know what? And it's funny saying something like that because there's been all of these great athletes. Of course. But given my background and what I would love to have achieved and done as an athlete, yeah, that's awesome. That to me would have been really just because him tearing away. You know, he had 50 meters uh, with with uh, to to win a tri- to to win a Rugby World Cup. You know, that's awesome. That would be awesome. That would have been you know. And no one can ever taken away from him. Can never be taken away from him. You know, can never be taken away from him. So, but on the other side of it, I'll tell you what, being Dennis Rodman after an NBA finals game would be a hell of a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The shackles were off just for a short moment there. (laughs) (laughs) No, he didn't. He just seemed to have not a bad time. Yeah, no, that's true. It's, um, it's fascinating to talk about Bodie Barrett because uh, I met Bodie Barrett this year. Uh, he was a part of our cricket team at yeah. the uh, yes, he was. New Zealand Open. And I came home telling a few people about my experience of meeting Bodie and Bodie playing in that cricket match. And I spoke about you being a pretty talented all-round sportsman. He, to me, looks like one of the more incredible sports people I've met as well. He's got fast-switch fibres to burn. And you know those throw. Remember he threw that ball from the oh. outfield that hit that hit that batsman in the head. Yeah, <laughs> I thought he was going to die. That guy, you know, that flat <laughs> throw from Bodie. Yeah, I tell you what though, you find, we're finding out very quickly how good his brother is. Yeah, wow. Geordie is on fire at the moment, and he, you know, like he's a bigger frame, and he's a big man. He's six foot four, Geordie. He is. Uh, he's he's not the long left-hander that 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 uh, Bodie is and he is a wonderful athlete but we're seeing Geordie right now and he he cricket golf um everything you know you, we're starting to see some pretty special stuff with him so look I, but, but it's funny you talk about this you know and I was very very fortunate to do what I, I I've done you know but I still think there's an opportunity for someone to do it again because yeah, that's because t t20 is an international sport now 2020 is an international sport so you know, there's no reason a dynamic power player like you can hit the ball a mile who's a rugby player couldn't go and swing for the fences in an IPL game or a you know like or an international 2020 game because you can see how far these guys can hit a golf ball. I've no doubt they could do the same thing with a cricket ball. You know, Geordie's a, is a good bowler, um, good bowler, medium pace who would be quicker if he, you know, um, had been playing professional coaching. Yeah, yeah, just play. He'd continue playing, he'd be quicker. Yeah, sure. I've no doubt he could be good enough. You know, I, I wish. I wish one of the local teams, you know, our provincial sides in the off season just said, let's have a take a punt and signing him to play yeah. a couple of T twenties and see what happens. What's the worst that could happen, right? You know, he'll have no problem fielding because these guys in the field are natural yeah, athletes. Unbelievable. But then just go out there, watch the ball swing for the fences fences and use your power. Boundaries are short now. Just yeah. swing away and see what happens. I'll tell you well, what. I know Bodie did it that day, didn't he? He went out to yep. bat and just hit the ball the yep. sound. Oh. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's awesome. yeah. Oh, well, like you guns put it going out into the atmosphere now, mate, that maybe that should happen and maybe you can use your uh, media side of things to just 
you know, throw a little. Oh look, I, yeah, I think it just takes courage. It just it's it just takes courage for someone to want to go and try it and do it. Yeah, you know, it, it really does. One of the things that one of the things that's uh, been made more and more evident to me after having my accident five four five weeks ago was that you know it doesn't really matter at the long, in the long run. You know, like if no. it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Who cares? What, do you think, what is it? You know, you know. I mean, that's the the thing. When I came back to cricket. Um, after retire, I mean, I retired from rugby when I was 28. Yeah. You know, um, and I've been playing pretty well uh, by all accounts. You know, I just thought, I, and, and I, I, I sort of knew at the time I was close to getting back into the All Blacks. They were going to select me again. That the word there had been whispers, and I had a really good season. But part of that was because I knew I was finishing up. You know, yeah, sure. I decided reasonably early I was going to finish up that year, and so I've been playing well. And then, but I, I, I got to a point where I needed to find out. You know, um, and I lost my father a little bit earlier on at uh, the end of 1998. And so a lot of my connection with rugby had changed significantly because he was my, he was a rugby coach. We talked about the game a lot. So my conversations around the game were different. And so when I went back to cricket, that was one of the, I wanted to find out, you know, there was no guarantees I was going to be able to compete again. And my body, I had a couple of ankle operations and all those sorts of things. But what did it matter? You know, like I, I know now, I know now that I could compete. Um, my body gave out in the end. Um, was I good enough to be at, at, What it confirmed to me was is that had I continued to play when I was younger, I might have I been able to play at that level, you know, and that's what I needed in my own head to know. Yeah, sure. um, and, and that, to me, is pretty significant in, in my view of, of, you know what, I'm proud of myself for giving it a crack because... Yeah. You know, you're a long time retired, and Absolutely. people were saying at the time, you know, I had offers to go overseas for rugby. I could have done all that, but but in the end, I, I needed to know. You know, I thought I, I thought I'd, I grew up thinking I'd be a cricketer. Let's go back and have another crack at it. And, and mm. yep, it was only for three or four years before my body decided. You know what? I don't want to bowl anymore because that's a really stupid idea. Because um, <laughs> it hurts. It hurts. And and uh, once that was done, you know, I could walk away from it, going, you know what? I've I've played the game at the highest level my way the way I wanted to and, and you know um, once again no one can take it away from me but had I failed completely miserably ah, so what yeah. you know um, and that's why I'd like to see these guys have a go at it yeah. see what happens yeah, I, agree. Yeah. I agree well mate thanks so much for chatting to me I certainly have been very blessed over my golfing career to have met a bunch of people from uh, different codes and different sports and I think that's one of the very very awesome things about the New Zealand Open and the product that uh, Michael Glading and John Hart and all of the team have created over there and let's hope that um, by the time we get around to March, April next year or beyond that we get to come over and and play again and uh, I certainly have loved uh, meeting you and catching up with you every year over there and thanks for your time today. I know you're a, you're a busy man and Certainly wish you and your family all the very best as we continue to see what happens in 2020. And uh, thanks so much for joining me on the Hard Yards.